This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Better Reading acknowledges the traditional custodians on whose land our office stands, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and their elders past, present and emerging. I'm Cheryl Arkell from Better Reading. The idea for this podcast came to me from trying to find books to read to my great-nephews. As regular listeners know, I'm from a Lebanese background, and to my surprise, it was difficult finding books where I felt that they could see themselves in the story. It got me thinking about how many Australians must feel like this. Why is there still a lack of diversity in children's books? Why? Late in 2019, Better Reading was awarded a grant from the Copyright Agency to produce a six-part series on diversity in children's writing. At the time, we could not have predicted what 2020 would bring. I now understand more than ever how little I know and how important these conversations are. This series by no means contains all the answers, but I hope it opens up more conversations. I personally have learned a great deal talking to these guests. At times, it was uncomfortable. At times, I wasn't quite sure what I meant or was saying. Afterwards, I've taken the time to reflect on many of the issues my guests discussed. I look forward to learning more. I hope you enjoy our conversation on diversity in children's writing. Deborah Bella, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. We've known each other for some time, so I guess we should declare that. I think it was, what, 15 years ago that we met at, at Random House? Oh, look, I suspect it was more. I think it's, it's yeah, because I feel like we've been saying 15 years for about five years. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, Deborah Bella trained as a teacher before producing Writing Children's TV at Network 10. She has written dozens of children's books, including the Max Remy, which I worked on back then. Uh, Jess, how old is Max Remy? She turns 20 in two years' time. She's 18. Ah, so it is 20 years. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Mm. And Jasper Zamet, soccer legend. Then there was Grimsden. And- I've written a climate change trilogy, uh, Grimsden, New City and Final Storm. It's basically my cranky Let's Look After the Planet series. Well, I mean, that's so relevant at the moment as well. Mm. So, yes, it's about kids living in a climate change world. Teresa which I thought was gorgeous, a new Australian, is a migration story inspired by De- Deb's dad, who with a million other refugees made the journey from Europe to Australia after the devastation of World War II. Deb is also a proud ambassador for the literacy charity Room to Read and is involved with Westwards, dedicated to celebrating and championing the stories of the people, places and cultures that comprise the heart of Western Sydney. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. So let's get started. Talk to me about your backstory and how you came to be a writer. Well, I was one of those little kids who at seven just decided that's what I wanted to do. I grew up in Western Sydney. I was a young girl, child of a migrant, uh, lived in, you know, a heart of the Western suburbs. So I knew that was as realistic as hoping one day to go to the moon. So I thought, but I'm going to keep writing because I really love it. And I just had some uh, some teachers along the way, my year four teacher, Miss Gray, who encouraged me. I had a, another teacher in high school, Miss Yates. 
hello, Miss Yates and Miss Gray, who just said, you can do it. Stop thinking you can't do it. And I, I did go to Teachers College and then I did a communications course at UTS and I did study writing and I accidentally then fell into a job writing for television and then writing for kids TV. And it was when I accidentally got that job writing for kids TV that I thought, this is it. I know I've been searching for something and I haven't known exactly what it was, but I'm home now. I found it. It's it's writing for kids. Now, I want to touch on that because you were brought up in Western Sydney. There probably, you weren't seeing a lot of role model writers like yourself around you. It was probably very unusual to be on television. Would that be right? Absolutely. It's just... Because I, I, I was thinking about this, I didn't see myself or anyone from my street <laughs> reflected back at me in the, the social media landscape or the media landscape around me, uh, news, films, certainly not on the front covers of books. And it wasn't until I published my book, Teresa, A New Australian, which is basically borrowing from my dad's post-war migration story. And the cover of that book arrived at my home and I opened that box and saw it. And I got so teary because I realised, oh, my gosh, I would have loved seeing myself reflected back at me when I was a kid. I just, it, it was such, I, I was, I underestimated how much that moment was going to get to me because I thought, there, there she is. That's, that's me as a kid. That's my story being told. Mm. For me, it was looking for Alabrandi. <laughs> Brilliant story. Yes, okay. It changed my life. Yes. First time, for the first time. And I'm the same age as um, Melina Marquetta, and that was the first time that I'd seen somebody that I thought could be me in a yes. fiction book. And apart from it just being brilliantly written, I think that's how so many people felt about that book. Even if it wasn't specifically your story, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is kind of the story my family went through, that whole post-war migration, living in Australia as a foreigner, going through all those times of do I fit in, where do I fit in, am I always the other? You know, am I, am I always going to be in the audience and never the main player in my life, you know? So uh, it's a stunning book and I think it was, it, that's why it resonated so far and wide. Mm, and still does. Still does. Uh, you're the child of migrants. As a child, did you see yourself or your family in the books you read? Never. Just never. And it was also, I mean, to be fair, it was also a time where publishing was mostly reading UK and US books and they were not diverse, the books that you got. They did not have different characters, you know, coming through in those books. And so it, we've only sort of, you know, uh, into my childhood decided that we need to tell our own stories, but it was a particular type of Australian story that was told. And it's only now, and I think in the last few years, we've become so good at publishing the diverse stories that make up Australia. Mm. I think we've experienced tremendous change since back then, but I absolutely don't think we're anywhere near there. No, I don't think we're there yet. And part of that problem is we need to see that publishers need to believe it's valuable. Readers need to believe that, oh, I want to read that book about that that person from, you know, that place that I've never even heard of. So I think as publishers come with us and audiences come with us, there will be many more books that, that have those differing stories that are essentially the stories of people walking on Australian streets now. So we, we need that. We're getting there. And even thinking about 
our chat today, there are there are so many books that I could easily pick off, you know, library shelves at schools or my shelves here, and they have those different faces staring back at me, and it's it's exciting, uh, and so I think it I think it is changing, but there's a ways to go. Yeah, there is. I was talking to Patrick Ness the other day. We talked about the genre of YA, and the reason why I'm bringing that up is because when I was a young bookseller, it never existed right? Ah. So when parents used to come in, no, there was no such thing as genres wire. And you will remember this, like if you finished reading, you know, Anne of Green Gables or Charlotte's Web, and you were really up to, um, you know, to go into the adult section, really to find your books. And, you know, if you're a guy, they'd probably recommend Tom Clancy. Well, I mean, I was doing this as a bookseller, or if you're a girl, it would be Jackie Collins or whatever. And so I feel that the genre of YA came from demand from readers. Right. That's how that was created. Yes. And I think we will see that demand increase too. And and I know as a reader myself, I, I don't want to read the same characters, the same kind of characters all the time, especially the same kind of heroes. I want different heroes. I want different stories told. And partly because that is, it's the world I grew up in. It's the world that we live in. And I want to see that as a reader, publishers, I want to see it reflected back. I want to know those different stories. I do too. So you're at the forefront of children's publishing, not only writing books, but visiting schools. And I love the fact that you do that. You're probably one of the hardest working authors I know. (laughs) Every time I look at your social media, you're out and about doing something. So you are visiting schools, as I said, you're speaking on panels, your involvement with organisations like Westwards. Do you think Australian publishing has changed and we're seeing more books that celebrate diversity? Yes. And I do think there's a bunch of reasons for that. I think audience demand, I think publishers are realising people want to hear it. But I also think, for example, when I was a kid, there was this implicit idea that my voice wasn't really worthy of being heard and that that was a kid that's how I felt growing up in the western suburbs of Sydney as the child of a migrant and I think it's really really different now and I think places like for example Westwards are are changing that and they're they're realizing that there are all these incredible voices with these incredible stories out west and they need to be told no we want to hear those stories and let me help you kind of get the confidence to tell that story and and that that's kind of like what we need to do we need um to encourage those voices and then those people will develop and they will write banging stories that we just have to publish not because they're especially about a diverse group or or you know an, an issue we haven't covered before but because they are fine writers and that's why I love Westwards because they they are realizing that you know there, there's there are voices out there and if we just give them that confidence then we will have such a, a literary canon in in the future that will be just stellar and we, oh, the rest of us will stand back we will watch them accept their awards as those you know those diverse voices kind of go up to the microphone and accept you know their accolades because that that's what's going to happen uh, talk to me about Westwards. So Westwards is this organisation that is literally set up in Western Sydney and they have this gorgeous sort of saying. So imagine a world where your stories aren't told. No books, no films, nothing about you, your family or your culture is seen anywhere around you. And like imagine, you know, even 
as us, imagine if that were true and we were just constantly reading stories and seeing other people from other cultures. And it's like I was saying before, like, so we're, we're constantly the audience to someone else's life instead of being on stage. And so Westwards, I love working with Westwards. So they, they have workshops, residencies where, where professionals stand in front of these groups of kids, really diverse groups of kids, and they encourage them to tell their stories and to write their stories. And it's, it's brilliant. And like we were talking about with mentorships before, so someone like I, I will go out and I'll talk to those kids, but also people from their own communities will stand in front of them and say, right, mm. tell me your story. And let's, well, let's I, I, I'm hoping they'll be the Booker Prize winners of the future. I mean, I'm hoping that they will be the writers of the future. That's what our community is. This is the point. This is the point. I think if you nurture those incredible voices, you know, I always think about kids who are, you know, who are left behind or kids who don't have opportunities. I think, well, how many of those kids would have been brilliant doctors or brilliant story writers or brilliant artists, you know, but no one kind of said to them, right, sit down, let's do it. Let me help you develop those incredible talents and that, that wonderful voice you have. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I want to talk about the school curriculum because I think that's really important because I feel as though those books are formative in what you're reading. And traditionally, and probably when you and I were both at school, I was reading the classics. And I'm as far from Jane Austen as you can ever imagine. You know? <laughs> Being a Lebanese Australian, I mean, I just didn't get some of the things that they were they were doing. No, and same with Enid Blyton, lashings of ginger beer. I just thought, uh, ginger beer, lashings, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't even know what ginger beer is. <laughs> no, so, I think it does start in schools and it starts in primary schools and then in high schools. Are we seeing that more? The Australian curriculum is a huge, funny old fish, of course. So I've, there are certain strands that have to be that have to kind of go across all the key sort of learning areas. So um, sustainability is a big strand that we need to put into all of our subjects: geography, you know, maths, and the same with um, Asian cultures, and same with um, Indigenous history and culture as well. But so that's a good thing, right? There are three incredibly important things that need to be filtered into our education system. But one thing that I hear from teachers a lot is it's then up to them how hard they go on that. It's then up to them to choose the resources, the novels, the books. And I almost think then it needs to be a tiny bit more prescriptive. And of course, 
you want teachers also to, to have the freedom to teach to their strengths, right, and and to teach how they feel is best. But I, I don't think it hurts to say there are all these incredible new and upcoming or established Indigenous authors. And, and so you need to at least choose five books that are Indigenous authors, uh, you know, in, in that in your geography unit here. So I think one, of course, I believe in a literature-based education is really important because a story will stay with you so much more than a bunch of facts will. Uh, but we do need, I think, just to have those books a little bit more pushed into the education system because, as you say, it is so important. The books you read as a kid, it changes you, it informs you. And, you know, especially little kids, I work with mostly with primary kids, they're like little balls of developing human beings, aren't they? And what you want to do is expose them to as much uh, um, uh, of a rich and diverse education, which includes reading different voices. Mm. So stories with diverse themes such as race, um, LGBT issues are important for children in terms of identity. But these stories are also important for all children, aren't they? Because reading these stories helps develop empathy. And they can't be the token person in the book. No, they can't. <laughs> so, And look, it works both ways. I, I do think it works both ways. One, if you have a, a diverse bunch of characters in front of you, it can make you feel included and it can make you feel welcome. But for the other kid who's always the star of the show, who's reading this book, it can create a sense of empathy. And I, that's why I think stories are so powerful. I, um, there's a literature festival that happens every two years in Sydney and it's at a, um, a boys' school and it's quite sports-oriented and quite an academic school. And the the librarian who started this festival quite a while ago now, she said that a lovely thing happened after a few years of this festival and we were sitting in the green room chatting away and she said, you know, what I wanted to do was encourage a love of books and learning and, of course, increase literacy levels and vocabulary, all those lovely, lovely things. But she said what I noticed was this gentleness in the boys a real softness in the boys and of course just seeing a boy leaning against a tree at lunchtime reading she said I had no idea and she said and I'm a librarian I know that books can create empathy and understanding and she said but seeing it in a whole kind of school of boys was just completely magic I think that just throughout all age groups, just with our audience and our readers at Better Reading, I get a sense that they have a greater sense of empathy because they read. Absolutely. Yeah, it is really extraordinary how that, you know, just reading a book, any book, it gives you an insight into how somebody else is feeling or how yeah. someone else is being treated or how someone else just lives their life. Definitely. And and to your point too, if I don't want that issue to be the reason that kid's in the book. I've read a couple of uh, particularly middle grade books, it's just largely who I write for and probably largely what I mostly read. And two of the main characters, just by chance of these two very different books, uh, these kids had a disability, but it was not the point of that kid being in that story. And one of them helped, you know, uncover a spy during World War II in England. And, and another kid, um, again, had a, a, a one leg that was shorter than the other. And it made it really difficult to run and climb, but she did it. And she was the hero of the story trying to save her grandpa's house, which was taken by this, you know, evil landlord and but it wasn't the point of that story Mm. and it was fantastic to read a story about these diverse you know diverse kids with different abilities but it it was them being the hero which was the point and them being just the story and they were just kids you know with who got cranky and angry and passionate and sad and you know that was the point of these kids 
Okay, so does that necessarily need to be with books? What are some of the other ways that words and stories are being used to promote diversity and inclusiveness, if you like? Oh, that's such a big question, isn't it? But I think, I think seeing your, your playground with a whole group of kids from all sorts of cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, like I just, and fam- family, different families, different makeups of different families, that is so important. And again, it works both ways. It, those kids feel included, they feel valued, they feel seen and heard. But the other kids in the playground go, oh yeah, that's just Amy. She annoys me sometimes, but she also happens to be in a wheelchair or she's really, really funny or do you know what I mean? If, if they just see, they're just, they're they are kids before they're anything else. Do you know what I'm thinking too here? Um, it's also about food and lunchtime. Do you have memories of that? <laughs> that was just yes. so important for me that, you know, <laughs> because all the, um, the the Australian kids in my class all came with, you know, Vegemite or peanut yeah. sandwiches on white bread yeah, or Devon and tomato sauce on white bread. <laughs> And, of course, I came with a falafel roll or something on Lebanese bread. But even then, I didn't, I felt I definitely could feel the difference, but I wasn't going to compromise the flavour. I was not going to eat that. I was going to bring my own (laughs) and I was going to eat the falafel. You never bowed to the pressure of the Devon sandwich? (laughs) No, I did not. I mean, don't you think that's even important? What we're giving our kids for school lunches. Yeah, and they can see, and who picks them up after school? They, you know, who comes to the assembly, you know, whether it's just the, the, the speech night or whether it's Harmony Day, do you know what I mean? Which is a specific, let's celebrate everyone being different. I want to see them at the sports carnival. I want to see them helping at the, you know, in the canteen. So it becomes who we are. And and then that's when we get to the point where we don't have uh, an Indigenous hero in the book because they're Indigenous. We have them because they're the right person for the job. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many heroes out there. Okay, how can we create space for more diversity in children's literature, more inclusiveness? Yes, and I think that is where places like Westwards come into their own because you, you need those voices you need those people with those voices to feel like they can stand up first and foremost because you know we also don't want to be like I don't want to be writing other people's stories <laughs> that's not, you know I want to write my stories I want to write the stories that matter to me but if we're going to have those diverse voices so Westwards and I know you're going to chat with Magabala books as well you know we need publishers who deliberately have a you know we're going to publish Indigenous authors and illustrators we're going to encourage them we're going to foster them and nurture them and the quality of those books my Gabala books are they're award-winning even with the CBC shortlist year the Children's Book Council shortlist I think there are at least four or five books on that list that are Magabala books. They are just, I mean, they're a fantastic publisher. You're probably the same. I have been aware of them or I've known of them all of my career. So they've been around a very long time. They're very experienced. They have never deviated from what they do and they do it so well. It is really a mark of excellence, you know, in everything they do. And I think that they've won Small Publisher of the Year a couple of times, you know, as an industry award. And their books are just getting better and better. And and again, like we were talking about before, it, the, being Indigenous is not the issue of the book. No. There are a bunch of kids fishing, hanging out with Grandpa, going to the football, you know, and that's important. 
Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. So what about you, Deb? What's happening in your life? Uh, what well, <laughs> number are you up to? How many books have you written? I think uh, I've got 27 books, I think. And um, I've, got, uh, I've got my next little book, which I'm, I'm really, I'm so excited about. So mostly I write middle grade, but I've got a picture book coming out in August called Bear in Space. And this one, it's kind of really relevant to what we're talking about today too, because I've worked with kids for over 20 years in schools and workshops and I love it. I miss it this whole 2020 and not being able to go into schools and look them in the eye and work on their their stories with them. It's been so hard. But I but I, you know, over the years when I'm seeing kids, I kind of gravitate towards the kids who are different. The kids who look like they don't quite fit in, you know, they don't quite look like they're sort of part of the crowd and I've always been intrigued by them. And then of course there's just differently abled kids and kids who just you know, they just see the world not like all the others. And so I had I had an idea for a story about a bear who doesn't quite see the world the way the other kids do, but he's obsessed with space, like super obsessed with space. And so he builds a rocket, flies into space and he's happy but soon becomes lonely, right, because he's in space by himself. And then he sees another rocket with a panda who is also obsessed with space and they become best friends. And it's that idea of, you know, it's good to be different and instead of trying to make that kid fit in with all the other kids, no, still be yourself. You know, it's that importance of, of just being who you are, celebrating difference. You will find your people. <laughs> you will, you know, you don't have to have a lot of friends, I say to kids. You just have those those friends who get you and who understand you. And being different is is not something that should ostracize us or isolate us. It it should be it should be something we celebrate. Isabella, you are authentic in in every way. I know, <laughs> I know you have lived and breathed this all your life. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you, Cheryl. It's been a complete pleasure. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.